Would you find your Bibles, your smartphones, Bible maybe uh, under your chair there, but would you find 1 Samuel chapter 16? We're going to be reading verses 14 through 23. Thank you so much to Aaron and our praise band. Thank you for leading us in worship today. Listen, you, all, you even got me excited about worship. No, I am highly motivated always and always glad to be in worship. I know that you are. We appreciate and uh, what a great time that we have had. Not just a great time, but been able to lift up the name of Jesus. And I know in a way in which pleases Him. Thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness. And uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you for your faithfulness this summer and uh, being a part of worship. Sometimes, many times, often here at other places. I have many people that brought me bulletins several last week. Uh, that I received the places that you have been and that you've been worshiping as I collect bulletins from other churches, not locally, but other churches and other places. And appreciate you being online. Ross tells him often of how many people are online and folks we see if you're in Auburn and Opelika, but particularly if you're around the United States or sometimes in another country, we, we don't know who you are, but we know where you are. And we have lots of people and lots of you that when you're gone, you come and you uh, worship with us as well. So we appreciate you. We're in the midst of this series, actually kind of a series within a series as we talk about He's Still King, and we're in 1 Samuel chapter 16 today, and this now is God's Word beginning with verse 14. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. When the harmful spirit from God is upon you, you will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. Whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre, played it with his hand, so Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. May the Lord bless the reading of His Holy Word today. Well, today is uh, it's moving day. We're actually, we're moving back to the beginning to look at the beginning of David's life and his preparation for what the Lord had as he was going to be facing the giant Goliath soon, as he was going to be facing many things, but he would become the king of Israel. He would become the one who is the protector of Israel and the influencer of many. But David is moving day for David. We find, we read just a moment ago, of course, he's moving into the palace but he's not moving to the palace as king. He's moving there as servant. It is almost always true in God's kingdom that those who make great leaders are outstanding servants. Several weeks ago, we read earlier in this passage, in uh, this chapter in 1 Samuel 16, about the anointing of King David when the prophet Samuel was told by God that he was to go to Jesse's house and one of his sons would be anointed the new king of Israel as he came to Jesse's house. He was not told which son. You know the story. He came. Seven of Jesse's sons were there in the house. And the first one, the oldest one, was there and he saw him and he said, surely this must be the one who's going to be the next king. He must have been one who was tall, strong, and handsome. But God told him he was not the one that would be king. In fact, 
He went through all of the seven sons who were in his presence. None of those were the ones who were called to be the king that he was to anoint. So the prophet Samuel asked Jesse if he had any other sons. And he said almost reluctantly, well, I've got the youngest, maybe even the run of the litter. He's out taking care of sheep. The prophet Samuel said, we'll wait until he comes. And as soon as he came into the presence of the prophet Samuel, the Lord told him, arise, anoint him, for this is he. And from the anointing of David and from the character of God, this is how we know about the nature of God because it's in this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, to where it says, For the Lord sees not as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We read verse 14 and following just a moment ago. But the verse just before that, verse 13, let me remind you of what that says. 1 Samuel 16, 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose and went to Ramah. What a contrast to the verse we read a moment ago, verse 14, to where it says, The Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and there was replaced a harmful spirit there to torment him. Now the harmful spirit that tormented him, sometimes translated as an evil spirit, was allowed by God as a consequence or a judgment upon the sins of the king and his rejection of God's plan. I do not think that this was meant to be a final judgment on King Saul. Otherwise, it would have been swift and it would have been immediate. But it was meant to bring reconciliation and repentance. Saul's days as the king of Israel, they were numbered. David was going to be the new king soon. Soon he would no longer be the king of Israel, but he had an opportunity here to have a relationship with God, and that was still possible. Redemption was still an option for Saul, this first king of Israel, which was much more important than even being the king of Israel. Uh, for a decade or more, Saul, King Saul, would continue to rule as the king of Israel, but he would do it without the presence of the Lord, and he would be doing that without the Lord leading or guiding him. Uh, sometime back I had... Uh, I had oral surgery, and I know it's a fun thing to talk about on Sunday morning, but uh, not a fun thing, certainly. But I remember that the oral surgeon, dentist, said to me, he said, well, so we could do this one or two ways. We could, uh, I can give you the I don't care juice, and we'll do all of the surgery, and you'll still be awake, but you won't care what's going on. Or we can put you out. We can put you to sleep, and we'll do that, and, but you have the option. One was, I remember one was more expensive and one, if it, uh, it was done, I'd have to get somebody to come pick me up and I'd be, have to be down for the rest of the day. Well, I didn't want to do, have to do either, so I said, is it, my, is it my choice? He said, well, how about this? I said, would it be okay maybe if we just save money and I've got lots to do today, maybe you just numb me up and you do what it is that you need to do? And I remember he looked at me, he said, well, yes, we can do that, but I would not recommend it. Well, at that time, I felt like maybe it was something that I could handle. I said, well, let's go for it. So he turned me upside down in that chair, and he pulled and pushed. He drilled. He chiseled. He stretched my mouth beyond limits. I'm sure that it was supposed to go. And when I was through, I felt like that I had been hit by a Mack truck. And uh, from that point forward, next time a dentist or a doctor tells me I will, do, I will not recommend it, I'm going to listen to what he says. Well, can I tell you today that you can face all of your problems that you have today, any giants that you have in your life without Jesus?
Can I tell you that you can face your future, you can face your eternity without Jesus. But I would not recommend it. You do not want to face your problems without Jesus. Now we're talking today about David being prepared to face Goliath and many other difficulties and giants in his life as well as to be king over Israel. I believe that the Lord is preparing you for facing any troubles or any giants in your life and to follow His plan. And it may seem basic to some, but you don't want to face your giants. You don't want to face the problems without Jesus. This part of the story of David moving into the palace and King Saul moving out reminds us, with Jesus as your Savior, you need not fear judgment. But if you do not know Jesus, because we are all sinners Judgment is inevitable. All are headed for a hopeless future and eternity separated from God if you have not placed your faith in Jesus. So today, for all those who are in this room, those who may be listening today, you will have opportunity to place your faith in the living Lord to make Jesus your Savior. Do not be deceived. The opportunity may not always be available. For King Saul, it would be short-lived. Well, today you can ask Jesus to forgive all of your sins Ask Him to be your Savior and Lord. Besides eternal life in which you will receive, you will know that you will never face a giant, you'll never face a problem, you'll never face any trouble in your life without Jesus. For those who do have a relationship with Jesus, to know that Him is your Savior and Lord, you have no fear of judgment. However, to be in a growing fellowship with the Lord, you must make the choice every day to follow and to seek to please Jesus in all things. When we do not, we're told in Scripture that the Lord disciplines those He loves, all to bring us into a right relationship and a growing fellowship with Him. Biblically, our status as a member of God's family is not in jeopardy. But as a loving Heavenly Father, He loves us unconditionally, and any discipline we must endure is evidence of His love. Thus, from a heavenly perspective, even looking at this story, the tormenting spirit in the time that Saul had left on earth was evidence of God's grace. He still had time to repent and he had still had time to turn to God. In light of what we know about the cross of Jesus, who took your place on the cross and he died for your sins, Jesus took God's wrath and judgment that was meant for us. The judgment of God for all who are in Christ has been paid in full. Now, Not every difficulty in your life is a result of discipline in life. Sometimes we go through difficult times because we're following Jesus. Think of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament as well as many of the disciples. They had difficulties and many, almost all, lost their life because they were following Jesus. The following Jesus can be the tougher road. Sometimes it's the less traveled road, but it is well worth the journey. Sometimes we go through difficult times simply because we live in a fallen world. The Bible tells us the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And then sometimes it is because of our own consequences of sin. Sometimes it's because of discipline. But you can be sure God wants to use all things to keep us growing and following Him and moving forward in our relationship with Jesus. King Saul could have used the experience that we're reading about today and the experiences that are to come in order that He could repent of his wrongdoings and turn toward God, but he did not. Well, you want to know, we're talking today about how you can be prepared. So you need to know also that any problems or discipline in your life may be evidence of God's grace and love. 
Sometimes it's hard to identify or we may wonder, is God disciplining me or is this because of something I did or is it simply because we live in a fallen world? Let's, let's just admit, sometimes we might speculate when we go through difficult times. Is there somebody up there that doesn't like me? Well, I want to tell you that you can be sure that God loves you. He's proven his love through Jesus many times over. Hebrews, writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 6 says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. It must have been fairly evident that a harmful spirit was tormenting Saul because so evident that his servants asked that the king direct them to go and to find someone to play the harp or the lyre so that he might be made well, that he might feel better. Now, a lyre is really a, sometimes harp, depending on your translation, but it's really a small harp. It's probably the precursor to the guitar, and it was often used in worship. I told the first service, I said, so since this is the precursor to a guitar, and you may not like guitars, you need to get over it, I guess. Saul said, search out someone who can really play well and bring them to me. The first Israel's Got Talent event was about to take place. When one of the servants said, hey, I know a guy. And then he gives a long list of attributes of David in verse 18. And he begins to tell him, and we'll look at this verse again. They said, he's one of the sons of Jesse from Bethlehem. Jesse must have been known to even use the name and not just say some guy, some man, some father in Bethlehem. He's the least of the youngest of the sons. But man, does he have some chops. He sure can play. He's skillful in playing. He is a man of valor, meaning that uh, he's brave and courageous. He's a man of war. He's a warrior. Now, this is young David. We don't know how they knew that at this point. He is prudent in speech. He sure does talk good. Well, or better yet, maybe he's well-spoken or eloquent in speech. Then he says in, in the ESV, he is a man of good presence. Well, what do you think that means? Well, he's well-groomed, perhaps, well-dressed. Some translations just say he's, he's good-looking. Maybe all of the above. But none of these matter compared to the last attribute that was told about David. And the Lord is with him. And that's really all that matters. Here's this unnamed servant of King Saul who knew David gave this resume of the attributes of David. As I read this, I'm thinking, I wish somebody would write a resume. Wish this guy would write a resume for me. Although I guess if he was honest, it probably wouldn't look near this good. For it would not matter what family you were from. It would not even matter that you were raised in a Christian, Bible-based, Jesus-loving family, though that has great advantage. It would not matter how skillful you are in voice, instrument, or workmanship. It would not matter if you could talk good or not. Moses was not eloquent. It does not matter how good-looking you are. All that really matters is if the Lord is with you. Now notice, it was someone else who recognized God at work in David. David did not search out recognition. He didn't try to politic in order to be able to get into the palace. The Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, said this, Proverbs 27, 2, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. And then in the New Testament, we have Peter where he wrote something similar, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time that he might exalt you. In the Old Testament, there are only a handful of people whom it was said God was with individually. 
One of those was one of the sons of one of David's ancestors. One of the 12 sons of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who was Joseph, who lived about seven centuries earlier. Like David, he was one of the younger sons of uh, Jacob. Like David, he was called into service because he was asked to watch over the brothers and the business, uh, even at a young age, and to watch over them. Brothers resented him for it, and they threw him into a pit, and then they sold him into slavery. He ended up in Egypt to where under this Egyptian master, the Bible tells us that the Lord continued to be with him. In fact, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 2 says the Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. And the Egyptian master put him in charge of everything, all of his house. You know the story, even slavery. God continued to be with Joseph. And as he was put in charge, he was falsely accused and thrown into prison. And the Bible tells us the Lord is with him. And then he was put in charge of all the prisoners. The Lord gave him the gift of interpreting dreams. He interpreted his own as well as other people's dreams. And then one day when Pharaoh had a dream and asked if there was anybody who could interpret it because no one was able to give interpretation, then one of the servants of Pharaoh, the cupbearer, who had been in the slammer there with Joseph, said, hey, I know a guy. He's in the slammer, but when it comes to dreams, man, he is the man. That's kind of a paraphrase of what took place. Joseph was called before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I hear that you can interpret dreams. And he said, no, I cannot interpret dreams. He said, but God can interpret the dream for you. Pharaoh told the dream to Joseph, and the Lord gave him the interpretation about a famine that was coming, and if they did not prepare, that they would all die of starvation. Pharaoh put Joseph in charge of practically everything. He saved the Egyptians from starvation. The famine was so severe throughout all the earth that all the people of the earth came to Egypt in order that they might be fed. And thus he saved all the people of the world according to what the Bible tells us in Genesis. And then including those who were of his family, those who would become the Israelites. And so that Joseph saved his family from where David was born and from whom the Savior of the world would be born. The Lord is with him. It's the most important attribute of Joseph and David and a few others in the Old Testament like Moses and Jeremiah and Isaiah and Samuel. Wouldn't you like to be like these guys? I mean, know that the Lord's always with you and be able to call upon the presence and the power of the Lord. Well, watch this. Because for all those who are in Christ and because we live on this side of the Christ, not only do we able to have the same presence and the power of the Lord. We know more of Jesus and we have more of the power and the presence of God available to all those who are in Christ today so that we might be able to call him. You're every bit and more access to the power of the presence of the Lord. So if you want to be prepared today to face whatever giant's trouble in your life today or in the future, your greatest attribute as a child of God, you need to know and it's this, the Lord is with you. It doesn't matter how you feel on any particular day or any time of day. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world in which we live. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, the Lord is with you. Now, obviously, there are some details to this particular story, maybe, that we're not quite privy to. David comes into history. The first part of the chapter is the youngest son of Jesse, keeper of the sheep. But here's a guy who works for King Saul who somehow knows David plays a killer harp. He has great courage. He's a warrior. He can talk well. And above all else, the Lord is with him. How does he know all this? 
I believe David's been demonstrating this in his young life. Maybe he is a legendary sheep herder and killer of lions and bears. I'm pretty sure he didn't prove himself by playing Xbox and just think that made him a great warrior. And this servant of Saul could have just seen the potential in David, just as the Lord and Samuel were aware of. But even after being anointed as king earlier in this chapter, David is still found taking care of the sheep. Some of us, I'm afraid, are satisfied or find ourselves maybe comfortable, maybe sitting on the sidelines. Or... As soon as we think, as soon as something big comes along, we're going to be then demonstrate our faith, but we're going to wait to do that till something really significant happens. Uh, as if to say, I'm sure God has something for me, but I'm just going to talk about my faith now. I mean, I'm not really going to practice it in the everyday things and the things that seem a little more mundane. Here's what I think David did to be known as the kind of person who was all of these things and the Lord was with him. He sought to be faithful in the least test that came his way. He was going to be the person even at his young age who was a person after God's own heart. And it showed up in the everyday life, not just in the spectacular. How else would someone in Saul's court know the skill and the character of David? Notice this about King Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 14, just a chapter or two before that, verse 52 it says there was hard fighting against the Philistine all the days of Samuel. Kind of a summary of what's taking place. And Saul, Saul, any strong man, any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Any man who could fight. Anybody who was strong was drafted into service. So the men who had already been drafted may have grown up with David, may have known him well as a young man. For he was already faithful before he was called into service. And of course, when Saul found out about David and about his reputation, he called and drafted him into service. Can you, can you think of ways in which we might be found faithful? Maybe ways that maybe are a little bit more of the, un, the mundane or the everyday things. Well, how about in integrity, in truthfulness, in the small and the tall? I mean... What harm is it really in telling a white lie? I mean, if it gets me out of trouble, or we can justify it maybe even if it helps somebody else. How about integrity in business? After all, everybody cuts corners. Hardly anyone will notice. A little bit of cheating, whether it be in business or school or wherever it else may be. What about just a little bit of gossip? It's always entertaining. And isn't it easy to love people who are going to love you back? And after all, as a Christian... Can't I just grow in my love for people who are really easy to love? How about trying to serve God and mammon or, and money? Seemed to me Jesus said something about that by saying that it doesn't matter what you think. It can't be done. It just doesn't work. How about listening and watching those things which would be spiritual, spiritually unhealthy? Well, my goodness, it's everywhere. How can we stay away from not hearing and seeing things that do not contribute to our spiritual health. Wait, did we not just say, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Lord is with you always? How's anybody going to know if you're not submitting to the Lord, practicing godliness? Perfection? Well, it's not going to happen. But we need to continue to seek to follow the Lord. We need to continue to be able to pursue Jesus and pleasing Him is a must. For you as a follower of Jesus, you will be called 
into service. You will be drafted or you will be called into service. So if we're going to be prepared, consider that your ability to faithfully follow in the future will be your pursuit of godliness now. Your response and ability to faithfully follow in the future may depend on your pursuit of godliness now in all things small and tall. It's okay. I don't uh, feel that I qualify and I fall far short. One of David's attributes that's not mentioned in the resume, maybe particularly in this chapter, was his ability to repent and confess and to come clean with the Lord Jesus. So maybe it is today that we need to confess that we fall short in the places in which we fall short and ask the Lord to help us to grow and to do better. People can know that God is with you, not because you are arrogant, but because of your humility. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 says, For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. David's next test of faith will be found in the next chapter. It'll be the, when he faces Goliath. We're going to talk about that next week. And Goliath was evidently not his first test of faith, but it was just the beginning of many, many more. As a fugitive running from Saul, he would be tested along the way. And on occasions, he would be called upon to spare and to save Saul's life. Bigger test even when he becomes the king of Israel and God's man in the palace of God's people. He would not pass every test with flying colors, and, but God would use his success and his failures to prepare him for what's next. You can be sure that God has a test of faith coming your way. Or are you in the midst of that right now? Passing a test of faith is not dependent on how good you are or not on any skill that you have, but on how much you rely on God. You will be drafted. You will be called into service. As Jesus said, I come not to be served, but to serve. And while we're going to learn lots of lessons about David and the life of David, we know our greatest example is found in Jesus. And through Jesus, we know that we're saved to serve. I'm not sure how much choice David had. The king sent word to Jesse the father, Send me David who is with the sheep. Now, before this, it doesn't say anything about the king knowing he's with the sheep. Maybe he checked his Facebook or Twitter account. But I suppose David could have rebelled against his father or not come at the king's beckoning. Or he could have come with a little bit of attitude. You want me to come and play or sing a song before the king? Listen, prophet Samuel said that I'm going to be the next king of Israel. But whether David knew it or not, God was at work all along to get David to where he needed to be as part of his plan and his purpose and for the good of his people. David's moving to the palace, only first as a servant. Jesse sent David along with bread, wine, and a goat as a gift to the king. And it says, did you read it a moment ago? Saul loved him greatly which is really ironic because he's going to spend the last 10 years of his life and of his kingdom pursuing David because of his jealousy of David. And like Joseph, David was given even more responsibility. He became the king's armor bearer, the one closest to the king for a while. Now keep in mind, Saul's been a warrior. And perhaps David is using this time to watch and to sharpen his skills even more. But his time would come. Saul sent word to David's father, Jesse, let him remain in my service because I have found favor with him. Let him remain in my service because I really like him. 
Now, this may not have been a 24-7 job for the next chapter. We find David still tending sheep at home. Chances are that he took care of his responsibilities at home while also the new responsibilities that he had in the palace. Gibeah was the capital city where Saul reigned. It's about 11 miles from Bethlehem, so it certainly was possible. I can remember, like some of you, some of those uh, early days when I was in school and I was on staff at a church and I worked another job and sometimes two jobs. It's something that you can do when you were when you're younger, I guess. I'm not sure that I did any of them really well, but David did. And remember that last verse, chapter 16, verse 23? And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. The harmful spirit departed from him. Do any of you love music? I'm sure that you do. Do you know this phrase? Music soothes the savage beast. It's become a very popular phrase, I guess. But it's actually, it's actually a misquote. The actual quote, I think we have, we'll put it on the screen for you. It is, music has charms to soothe a savage breast, to soften rocks or to lend a knotted oaks. From the playwright William Congreve in his work called The Morning Bride. Uh, breast instead of beast referring to the heart. Music can soothe and soften hearts. Do you believe that to be true? Sure. Why not? Now, sometimes it may depend on how fast and how loud the music is. We keep our drums in the fishbowl for a reason, maybe, perhaps. What kind of music do you think David played for the king? It probably was not rock, pop, or country. We have uh, over 75 songs that David wrote in the Bible, all of them having to do with praise to an almighty God. And by God's grace, even King Saul felt better and refreshed when David played. But it was only for a short time. The evil spirit would return and visit again, and the refreshing would not last. But while David's music would make King Saul feel better, it would not change his heart because he continued to be unrepentant and refused to submit to the Lord. There are crowds of people who are sitting in worship today, many who are standing, perhaps even now, singing aloud with enthusiasm and praise. They feel refreshed and glad they come to worship. They live for the next worship service and the next emotional high. But if they are not repentant, if they are not willing to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the refreshing and the feeling is short-lived. If you love worship and you feel so enthused about God on Sunday but have such a hard time being obedient and find it hard to steadfastly pursue Jesus during the week, consider that you might need to repent of sin and that you might to need to submit to Jesus in all things. When Jesus told the parable of the soil, he talked about the seed that was spread upon four different kinds of soil. One of those was the soil of the rocks, where there was not much soil and it sprang up quickly. Then when the sun rose up, there was no depth and it quickly withered away. Later, the disciples asked, about the meaning of that particular parable. As a matter of fact, that's the only parable, one of the only ones that's in all four Gospels. And they, This is what Jesus said about the seed that fell among the rocks in Matthew 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on the account of the word, immediately he falls away. 
You want to be sure that you're prepared for the giant you're facing, the next giant perhaps coming your way. You want to be sure that you're well grounded in the faith in the living Lord Jesus. Now, this little part of the story, we have just two main characters, two names that are mentioned outside of Jesse the father, Saul and David. Who do you want to be more like? Saul, for whom the Spirit of the Lord has left, has been replaced by a harmful spirit who refuses to repent or submit to the Lord. Or David, who's not seeking to promote himself for whom the Lord has plans, and it's evident to everyone that the Lord is with him. What's a no-brainer? Then, if you want to be like David, if you want to be prepared for the next giant coming your way, do not depend on emotional response alone. Instead, place your confidence serving and walking with Jesus. So next time you're watching or listening to the news or watching it on the internet or whatever it is to where you might get your news and you're thinking how bad things are in the world, is there any hope, is there any answer? It may be that you want to think to yourself, tell yourself, or maybe even say it out loud, hey, I know a guy. Next time you're going through some troubles in your life or you're facing a giant right now, it may be that you want to tell yourself, even now, even at this moment, hey, I know a guy. And if you're a seeker of truth and you're wondering about this Jesus or you want to know if there's really a plan and there's a really a purpose for you, I want to tell you today, hey, I know a guy. His name is Jesus. He is the hope of the world. He is the one who's already given you victory over every giant for all those who are in Christ. He is the one who provides salvation for all those who call upon Him. Glory be His name. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you even now recognizing that you continue to be at work in our lives. You continue to help us to grow. We pray, Father, even now for the giants and troubles that we may be facing or preparing our hearts for what you may have before us today, this week, sometime in the future. Father, we ask that you make that preparation sure and that we can be confident, Father, in everything and all that you are doing in our life right now. Help us to place more confidence in you today, Lord. We pray today and we thank you for how you have provided to the cross of Jesus Christ so that we might have a growing relationship with Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the grace that you give us, even in discipline, even in going through difficult times, that you're greater, you're still king, and we can trust you. We pray, Father, for someone who may be here today or someone who may be listening, live stream, Father, that who may not know you as Lord and Savior, may not know for sure they have Christ in their heart or a home in heaven. We pray today, even at this time, knowing that they can ask for forgiveness of sin, ask Christ to be their Savior and Lord. We thank you how you continue to be at work. We love you. Thank you for the loving us. It's in Jesus' name we lift these prayers. Amen.